Welcome back, y'all. I am so freaking thankful that you are taking the time to listen to me here. We're going to hang out again. We are all still on quarantine because we got another 30-day lockdown. So, you could be playing Scrabble. You could be doing a push-up challenge. You could be baking something new. My friend, he used to do Pokemon cakes. I told him to get back into that. If you happen to decorate cakes as if they are Pokemon, please please tag me in things. Um, but I am so excited to have y'all here today. I am going to be talking to my friend Savannah Marr, and she's just such a gem. Like, we are going to go over mindfulness, like, what a real kind of meditation is. We're not going to do a meditation practice, but we're going to talk about a different form of meditation, and we're going to talk about visualization in a way that I have never even thought about, and it really kind of flipped the switch and changed the game for me. I am just so freaking excited for y'all to be here, so let's jump right into it. All right, Ms. Savannah Mayor. So I've just done some casual, like Facebook stalking, but I think you can tell us your story the best. Like, what's some of your background? How did you get from where you were before to where you are now in like your coaching and your life? Sure. So where to start? So as far as my business goes, I almost almost immediately jumped into entrepreneurship in the sense that. I grew up with parents who owned a business, um, a product business, which they still own. And so it was kind of a comfort zone for me. I went to school, got my bachelor's in psychology, had intended to go straight into a doc. So I had started towards a doctorate and um, I was in a really bad accident um, between starting the program and not finishing it. So I was gonna go and become an industrial organizational psychologist, which basically means I was going to go into businesses and do like psychology for the staff and the leadership and repair how they operated, things like that, right? That's what I was gonna do. My job to need somebody like that. Dang, that post-quarantine. Yeah. Like, you know anybody, you send them my way. My, my job could use something like that. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of corporations can. And industrial organizational psychologists are used in a lot of the world. And America's a little bit behind. Some corporations use them, you know, like big corporations like Microsoft, Boeing, things that you already know kind of do things differently. Um, but yeah, no, that was originally my intention. So I always kind of held a passion for how people lived the majority of their awake hours, right? Which is at work by happenstance. And I wanted to be able to serve them to be able to thrive through that, right? And so I was in an accident, didn't finish um, my degree because I had some health problems. I drowned uh, in Montana in the middle of winter in a canoe. So yeah, bad plans. <laughs> That's what happens when you're 19, right? So <laughs> it was pretty cold. Okay. Well, so do you do the polar plunge on a regular basis since you already survived? You're like, I can do anything now. No, I don't. <laughs> it's more like I have I want nothing to do with cold water ever again in my entire life. <laughs> well, dang. Well, thank goodness you're still here. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't swim. I would have. It would have been game over. You're like, well, it's fine. Yeah. No, I am. Um, 
I was a swimmer, so I grew up on a lake, and I grew up doing a lot of, like, swimming out to the middle of the lake and back, and I was an athletic swimmer as well and a water polo player, so I was definitely very comfortable in the water, which was this dual effect on me when I was in that position, right? Because it was negative five degree water. We were drowning. We had gone through all these like trainings on how to get back in the canoe, but we couldn't because we had... So I was with my significant other and his niece and nephew. We were out there for like an hour. It was just one of those really random... We had never capsized in a canoe ever. We had done all this cold water training, everything wasn't expecting it, but we realized real quick, we couldn't get back in the boat without, with the kids, because you have to roll the boat, right? So threw the kids in there, we stayed in the water. It was very Titanic, very dramatic. I swam ahead and I remember thinking like, I can't believe I'm going to die in the water. (laughs) I'm like, of all places, it's the one place I was like, never thought anything bad would happen, right? Growing up in the water. And it was that, it was one of my triggers for how I was going to live life after that, right? But I remember having that, you know, breakdown in my head. And then when I did make it, I remember thinking like, oh, because of my life experiences, I was able to make it out of this, right? I mean, there's a long story from the trajectory of that. But I also had, you know, when you're near dying, you know. You run through a lot of things at that point. Yeah. You go through a lot of things, right? I had lost my vision. I couldn't see. Like, I had definitely more um, spiritual experiences, things like that, which really changed the trajectory of my life. And at the same time, unfortunately, afterwards I had a low immune system and I just couldn't finish college because I was getting sick constantly. I was in and out of the emergency rooms. I was, you know, my body just wasn't high functioning. So I had to start learning how to make it work better. And in that process, I was, so throughout high school and college, I had nannied and I continued kind of nannying. That's what I was doing when I started my side projects, right? Like, how am I going to use my degree and my passion to serve people, right? Like, how am I going to do that while I'm also sick and trying to heal my body and while I'm around toddlers constantly? <laughs> like, how can I make this work? So um, I signed up for a business license and I just kind of started toying around with it. And that's kind of the trajectory that I went on, right? Like, how I was going to show up and be a better version of myself and use my experience and the experiences that around me. I continue to get certifications and many different things, including coaching. So I am licensed and certified and educated and all of that. All of that. And I'm also, a very, I, we discussed, I think, before the recording, being a researcher. I don't know if you follow Harry Potter at all, but I'm 100% a Ravenclaw. So I'm all about the research and knowing and being in the know and then just sharing that with people because I think part of the time when people want a mentor it's because they don't want to take years of time it took to learn what somebody else learned or go through the experience, right? Obviously, not everybody can go through a life-changing experience. They just want to learn through other people. And because of that, I also held that point of view, right? I just was the kind of kid and the kind of teenager who never felt like I had to go through something to get it, right? I watched my friends date and go through terrible relationships, and that was enough for me. I was like, I get it. I learned from you. I saw your mistake. I'm not doing that. (laughs) I was, all of my friends learned from my terrible mistakes, but I made all of them. I made them all for everyone. I'm just like, remember that time that I did the thing? It was a bad idea. We should not do that. We should definitely not do that. I was, I've always been that friend. I mean, of course, made my own mistakes. And I think that there's different personalities, right? Some people absolutely have to make their own mistakes, go through their own trials to learn things from experience and like hands-on something tangible. Other people don't. I'm the person that falls into the don't and I typically 
they work with people who fall into the don'ts, right? They don't, they want preventative care. They don't want to fall into those mistakes they want to learn through and from others, right? So I started out mentoring a little bit. Like I said, I went into corporations and I ended up at first being a dating. So I ended up in corporations because I was a dating coach. That's the first job I got. That's the best thing. Yeah. But I was a dating coach in Bellevue, Washington. And for anybody who doesn't know where that is, that is, you know, the home of Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Bungie, which is Xbox and video games. You basically have introvert, rich introverts. I worked as a dating coach through that and which was super fun. Like it really opened my eyes to how multi-layered people really are because I knew that from an educational standpoint, but it's really interesting when you see this duality of people, right? Like people who seem one way and you're like, no, you're not, right? Is I think some of my biggest shock was like some of these people who you think that they would be really nice because that's just how you would stereotype most people who are, like I said, those introverted, very analytical kind of people, right? But they weren't and they needed coaching through that. But yeah, it was interesting to see like the multi-layers of humans and how they operate and help them be functioning higher. And through that, I just got more connected with those corporations. And I started going in and doing, you know, luncheons and workshops, not specific to dating, but the, now just human performance, right? To help people better their lives and live more well-rounded, things like that. Started hiring a DJ, doing multiple uh, motivational entertainment. For That's exciting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then went down the rabbit hole. Like this is where it all went downhill. Cause I was like, okay, I, you know, because I was doing that, people were like, wow, you're a great MC. You are a great coach and you're really good at events. So I started getting you know, hired to do these events. And so I was like, okay, started taking contracts, doing the full thing, like what I call full production event planning and, you know, emceeing, right? So event planning and fancy word for coaching essentially in corporations. Yeah, that was a rabbit hole. I should have never went down because I was good <laughs> at events, but I hated it, right? So I oh. am a very free-spirited person. I am not a perfectionist. However, both my parents are type A and perfectionist. So I have all this learned behavior of perfectionist, which made me an amazing event planner because I was super free-spirited, never worried about a thing, also had all the type A learned behaviors, right? But when any anytime something's a learned behavior, it takes a toll on you, right? So it didn't yeah. come, I had to actually try, I had to actually work on it. And when things weren't perfect, like I would drive myself crazy, but still. You sound like you could be like the best wedding planner ever. Yep. I did a few weddings. I didn't market to weddings, but I did a few weddings. But yeah, because of that, I ended up starting an event planning business. Got too successful too fast. However, I did crash and burn at first. So just so people know, things don't happen. Like, you know, I'm going up the ladder of like the steps I actually landed on. But sometimes there was a lot of tripping, right? I remember my electricity got cut. When I started my event business, I thought all those contracts were going to still hire me. They didn't. You want to know why? Because they wanted control of their contracts. They wanted a contractor so there was non-compete. I wanted to start a business so I could do multiple contracts at the same time. That's not what they wanted. So I realized I started my business. I quit everything. Well, I didn't quit, but contracts ended. I thought they would renew like they always had. That didn't happen. So I remember my electricity got cut off. I had like $200 in my bank account and I borrowed a little bit of money from my mom and I was like... I'm buying a dress from Nordstrom's and shoes from Aldo and I'm buying a ticket to the Columbia Tower and going to this VIP event, right? I walked 
and there was zero dollars, no electricity. And I was like, I am walking out of here with a client or entrepreneurship's not for me. And I quit everything. Right? So, and you give yourself an ultimatum like that when you decide yeah. that's when the wheels start turning. That's when the wheels start turning. Hey guys, you know, what's really cool. I just finally figured out how to do podcast edits and insert small clips and do record here and then here. And I'm very, very excited about this. But you know what else I'm super excited about? Pays to be brave 2020. Like, you probably haven't been following me very long. And that's a shame. It's okay. I forgive you. But in October of last year, I went by myself to an event with 1,500 amazing freaking women. And it changed my life. Because of that event, I left a company that wasn't serving me. I am starting my own freaking business. Like, that's crazy talk to me. I'm making this podcast. I have a blog. All of these things were because I went to Pays to Be Brave. And I was like, I'm going to start living my best freaking life. And I'm going to show up the way I was meant to. And so I am very excited to offer a fancy discount of 50 freaking dollars off your tickets to Pays to Be Brave 2020. It's going to be in Chicago. It's going to be, you know, just Angie and me and a couple, you know, 3,000 amazing women all coming together, wanting the same things, wanting to grow, wanting to be amazing, and just this, that, and the other thing. And so the link is going to be in my bio. Get your freaking tickets, and I'm going to see you there. So I did. I walked out with a connection to somebody who was running events for Seahawk Players client and that, and then I just kind of skyrocketed. I ended up getting too popular, too busy, too fast. It was too much. Was in the ER because I got an infection in my leg for being on my feet too long one night. And I'm like, this isn't the life I wanted. So, you know, fast, I, I rewinded a little bit. I'm like, okay, the core of what I started doing was coaching and human performance coaching. I'm going back and doing only human performance coaching, <laughs> period. So let go of the rain, reassess. But yeah, that's like the super edited long story of how I got started. That's which- amazing. That's so exciting. Because at least you tried. You just tried. You were like, I'm just going to make it work one way or the other. Put up or shut up pretty much obviously you're doing pretty well now people come and be like how can i do what you do i'm like by falling a lot for 10 years that's how yep. you can do it you have to be willing to not let because there's lots of times where i said i was gonna let go but when you're when you're an entrepreneur you're an entrepreneur you're like okay just kidding i also can't work nine to five <laughs> like i'm done <laughs> Exactly. So in like terms of that, so since you're doing like human performance, you said that that's kind of like your main focus. Like what is, there's so many ways that people can perform like physically, mentally, professionally, like what's kind of like your focus? Are you, are you kind of like covering the whole spectrum for someone? Like when clients come to you, you're like, we're going to work on a plan. Like, do you just kind of figure it out as they go? Or do you have like a very specific kind of human performance, mindfulness coaching that you do? So I am more more of a coach than a mentor, right? So what that means is that despite the fact that I do know a lot and I can talk a lot, I don't. <laughs> so my entire background in psychology, intrinsic motivation is the kind of coaching certifications I got. It is that 
you ask questions in a way that triggers people to come up with their own intrinsic motivation, which basically means they're going to decide what they're wanting and then go from there. I do hold a four pillar model for human performance, like four legs of a chair or anything else that creates the groundwork and the stability for a foundation, right? And I believe that people need to operate at their highest level in all four of these areas. And because of that, I do ask leading questions for each of them in order to kind of create that well-rounded approach, but I take it step by step, right? So my four pillar model is mind, body, spirit, and existence. Obviously the mind is a lot of the brain work, the mindfulness, training your mind. And I teach the science behind that and mentor to that a little bit. So people understand why they're doing it so that it's not just like this woo, silly snake oil kind of stuff or whatever people think about that. Not all the woo woo. I mean, I love me some woo woo, but if you can give me some science to go with my woo, I love. Yep. I love that. I love my... So I try to focus on that. And then the body, obviously, like I got a lot of certifications in yoga and Reiki and corrective exercise. Trying to think of the others. I did a lot of certifications over the years for body work. So I could teach people how to move their body in ways that were going to serve them at a higher level. So we kind of work on that, coming up with exercise plans once they, again, once they decide that's what they're wanting, right? So I ask the leading questions to help them decide if they need to start moving their body more, if that's contributing to what they're feeling or what they're wanting in the overall picture, things like that. Then spirit, you know, spiritual beliefs, practices, whatever people believe in that way or don't believe or lack thereof, you know, design clarity around that. And then existence is going to fall into how we show up in our world and how we want to show up in the world. And that includes financially, relationally, things like that. So I like that. I've like heard a lot of models, but I've never heard one where like existence is just like how you're showing up. Usually that is connected. Like in a lot of things I've heard where it's your mind, like mentally showing up is how you're showing up. I like that. Yeah, no, I had to separate them because in my opinion, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't have designed it that way. In my opinion, your mind is very much how you're showing up for you and that doesn't always have anything to do with how you exist in the world so in my facebook stalking i think it was today that you had a post about collective meditation i googled it i didn't really have a good answer i'm super curious of like what that is because like given the craziness that is the world right now my state is on full lockdown for another month who knows what in the heck is happening right now being more like a mindfulness practitioner or it's kind of like the vibes that I got off your page originally, which I was like, I want, I want to hear how like one approaches the situation we're in with mindfulness, like, because it is very scary. It's anxiety inducing. A lot of people in all aspects of their lives are like flipped on their head. What are you like the clients that you have right now and the clients that are potentially coming to you? How are you helping them get through all of this with some calm stability. Yeah, no, totally. Sounds like there was two questions in that. I will answer the collective meditation first. That is anytime you're doing anything meditative or intentional at the same time as other humans, right? So you might, it might be more familiar in the form of prayer. Like it's very popular for churches to congregate and have these mass prayers because biblically it says when more than one person, you know, when three or more shows up, like it just sends, I don't even know how exactly they think of it, but it just makes it more powerful in some way, right? So in, to take that to a step further and widen that spectrum, 
spectrum, it's sort of the same thing. When everybody shows up in a meditation with this collective intention, right? In in this case, it would be in theory, showing up to pray or meditate or send energy to he- the healing of the world or something, right? That That's when everybody's doing it at the same time with the same intention, things like that. So it's very much a faith-based concept. Okay. Um, that's significantly... Makes more yeah. sense. It's that whole energy. We have our energy. We're putting it towards like a common thing. Yes, we exactly. Love, yeah. We love the woo-woo. There's a lot of science behind that. Also, like just in energy vibes oh, in the world. That's which, probably one of the biggest questions I get asked, right? Is like, well, isn't Reiki or energy work just all woo? And I'm like, okay, let's talk Let me get the quantum physics out. Right. You don't even have to go quantum. Like even with body work, you know, they've proven it's like 80% science and 20% faith-based because there's certain things that will always be human experience and correlative evidence. They're just it, right? But they use it in hospitals. They use it with doctors. Like, and there is definitely a science between the way you literally have your cells and tissues generating electrical fields on your skin at all times. They have proven this scientifically with real science, right? Like, the most exciting just bundles of energy. That is when people are like, well, when atoms like, you know, collide and they release all this energy, we're made of atoms. We're literally energy. Like that's always like my return argument. I'm like, so we are energy. We have the greatest form of energy just in our bodies themselves. And we can tap into that. You just have to want to tap into it. Yeah. And you don't even have to, you know, it it is, it's exactly, you have to want it. Right. So with like Reiki or any touch therapy, like massage, it could be a lot more powerful and automatically is. There's a reason people thrive when they're getting touched in any way. It's because the brain is sending signals to the hands and those electrical magnetic fields are getting larger, right? They, you physically can measure this with a machine. And so you've got all this energy pulsing through your hands and your brain waves are like firing up like crazy. And then when you touch the other person, it's, they've actually also scientifically proven that you can interfere with their electrical magnetic fields. And then the parts that they haven't proven is whether that actually causes healing. They can tell it alters it. They can tell it changes it. But you know, in what way, right? But does it, the only other thing that changes your electrical magnetic field is disease. So isn't that interesting? Like it's somebody touching you and disease changes it. Given the world we're in right now where you don't want to touch anybody because of disease, it's a very, it's a very odd situation to be in for a lot of, I have friends just do massage. They do like, they do the energy work, they do stone work and it's, you can't touch anyone right now without risking them. So it's very, it's a very hands-off, but we're so, as humans, we want to be so hands-on. Like I'm a super, super introvert. So really being at home all the time with this isn't terrible for me. But not seeing people every day is very weird. Being near them in hospitality, we're at a desk, we're really close, we see people, like I hand people things, like essentially like touch in some regard people all of the time. And like not having that is like a weird lack feeling. Like I'm not upset, but I can still feel odd that there's just no other physical connection other than like my cats and then like my husband. They were the, they're only people that we've seen in weeks now. So it's a very interesting space that we're living in. It is. Um, it 
is really interesting. And I think that's why where you place that kind of leads you us into like the next question you asked is how I'm kind of mentoring because I am stepping more into a mentorship role just because people are figuring out what they're wanting real quick in our sessions because it is such a crisis space, right? They're no longer working on these goals that they're not entirely aware of why they're wanting to They're like, no, I know exactly what I'm wanting. I want out of this situation, right? Like I need out of the house. I need to do this. You know, I've been trying to really encourage people in multiple different avenues with that, right? So for me, myself, I've been being really, and a lot of this has a duality, right? I'm not saying everything, single thing to every single person, but it's kind of the layers of what I'm saying. But for myself, I'm really being careful with what I'm consuming, right? Both nutritionally, but also with what's out there. I've been really intentional with telling people and reminding people that most of us, right, are civilians in this. Most of us are not working as nurses, doctors, police officers, people in the food industry, things like that. Most of us are not those people. We have the luxury and the opportunity as civilians to completely dissociate from it, right? Like, I'm not saying don't be in the know. The media is entirely set up for better or for worse, right? Like, I'm actually not against this, but they are set up to elicit a response, right? That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get a response. And in this case, the response is to get people to stay home. If you are the person staying home, you definitely do not need to be consuming what they're saying because they're sharing that story of that one person in Alaska who did that one thing and died because they're trying to scare you into staying home because they need you to stay home, right? Like, so if you're already staying home, you don't need to be reading that. You don't need to be scared. You don't need to be concerned. You're doing what you're, you know, already supposed to be doing. You can watch kind of your updates from your local news and go to the like places that have valid information, but you don't need to be consuming the rest. It's not for you. You're not the ideal client. You're not the ideal reader. You're not the person that needs a response. And so within that, I'm trying to encourage people to instead spend their time doing things that are actually going to serve them in this opportunity they have to do so much more with their time, right? Time is absolutely another form of, like, not everything has to be monetary, like time is valuable. You know what I mean? I'm losing the word for that. It's, oh, I know it's like time is the one, it's like a resource that you'll never get back. You can never get back time. You can get back money. You can get back things. You can never get back time. So like I try to, you know, encourage people not to focus so much on the monetary because they've got the availability and the time now to do so many things that they would normally never try or do, right? Just like what you're doing. So I'm encouraging people to really step into exercise, even things that take like 30 seconds, right? Go online and find a sit-up challenge where you literally start with 10 sit-ups and then you go to 20 the next day. It takes no time at all to add sit-ups into your routine. Do the, do the push-up challenge. If you're listening to this, do 10 push-ups and then tag me in it. I have done so many push-ups. I'm yeah. going to be so swole at the end of quarantine. Like my arms are going to be buff. Exactly. And I hate push-ups. I love the gym. I go to the gym all the time when it's open. Mm-hmm. You could not have paid me to do a push-up before. Push-ups were my only real option because I own no gym equipment in my house. So like now I have to figure it out. Home workouts, best mm-hmm. thing ever. Like using the resources that you have. Yep, exactly. There's other, like there's still many YouTube videos. There's YouTube Zumba. Like if you've ever been concerned about how you look in Zumba, do YouTube Zumba now, right? You're not in front of anybody. Look like a fool then, right? It's like you have so many options um, if you want to dive into that. I personally, obviously being certified in yoga, I do a lot of yoga and meditation. Meditation can be super simple. Like it could literally be, people envision it like you're not allowed to move. You just sit there, you're doing nothing, right? But meditation is more, it's more important what's happening up here than it is what's happening with your body. I actually encourage 
encourage people to move around when they're meditating and just on whatever they're focusing on. I typically start people out with, you know, telling them to find Nature Sounds five-minute YouTube video and find, name five sounds in it, right? Or do some sort of sensory meditation or listen to something. Five senses, like look around and choose five things you can see. Meditation is just a form of distracting your brain. I definitely used to be one of those people who was like, I don't have time to meditate. I don't have like an hour to just sit and I can't sit still and I'm, I'm not going to be able to focus. And then someone like told me, they're like, oh, you can meditate for like five minutes and you can just do it while you're walking. And I was like, that's a thing? Like looking back, I'm like, that's so simple. I've been meditating forever. I just casually walk places all the time, but I never like considered it a meditation. Even though I was like, well, I'm with my thoughts. I'm thinking through some things and I'm just calm and I'm just zen. But I'm just like going somewhere. So I feel like yeah. that is something that people need to understand more. Like you, I'm going to butcher the quote. It's like you overestimate what you can do in an hour and you underestimate what you can do in a minute. So even in just like short periods of time and anyone who is stuck in quarantine at home, you have a lot of time. You went from working eight hours a day, you have eight extra hours at home. Use them. You, like I'm living for it. Like yeah. I know some of my, like there's so many things on my list to read the books. Just do all the things that you've wanted to do because most of the time you can do them in your house. 90% of the things that people want to do, you can do them at home. Yep, it's very true. I think it's just the more, people are more overwhelmed by the idea that they're stuck at home, right? Which is the other reason I'm encouraging people to remember that to try to think in the way of it's not happening to you, it's happening for you. That's just one simple mindset shift people can start saying. But again, it's all about tricking your mind, right? Meditation, mindfulness, it's all about tricking your mind. I tell people all the time when I'm working with some people through through temporary trauma, like right, any deep-rooted trauma, you go to a therapist, you go to a psychologist. But some people like just have a bad experience at work or and I'm sure you've experienced this, a, a client or person at the hotel, that kind of stuff. For clients that go through something like that, I typically do visualization practice. Almost every single time people are like, Well, I know that it could do you are you familiar with visualization? So you essentially just for anybody listening, you rewrite the story, right? You have the bad experience in your head and then you change the ending, right? Like, okay, this person walked up to me. They got really upset that their room didn't have coffee in it. And then I gave them coffee and they took it up to their room and they were happy, right? Something like that, you know, and just to use a you know, silly example. And so I have clients who be like, but I know, like, I clearly remember that they came through the coffee pot and the glass broke all over the ground. And I had to clean that up while they were yelling at me while I couldn't get a hold of my manager. That's what really happened in my brain. No, and I know that, right? So this doesn't work. And I'm like, no, you know that. But what you're doing is tricking your brain, right? Like it's not that you're, it's not that you don't know what happened. It's that you're retelling your brain what happened. And that's sending signals to different parts of the brain to change the stress response to it, right? It's not a matter of, you know, you not knowing what really happened or forgetting it or anything like that. That's not the point. The point is to trick your brain. It, that's the point with all that mindfulness stuff. Same with the meditation. Like there's an entire form of meditation called Vedic meditation where you literally get a word after you go through how they teach you how to do it. And you just think that word over and over and over and over in your head until your mind wanders and your mind, you just let it wander. Even if it's wandering to places that you don't want to think about, the entire idea of it is that your brain needs to process it and you need to let that organically happen. Meditation doesn't have to be you sitting there not moving and focusing on waterfalls, right? It just doesn't have to be that. That is another way to do it. And some people find a lot of value in that. I don't see pictures in my brain, so that's never been a value for me like I can't do the waterfalls I'm more like I have that rare 12% of people thing where I just know things are there right anyway so yeah that's another really powerful tool I've also been encouraging people 
certain people, because again, some people this works, some people it doesn't, to really step into nostalgia, right? One of the things that I did is that I discovered, and I haven't played video games probably, not significantly since I was like 18, but even then, most of the time playing video games like on Nintendo and, you know, PlayStation, things like that, right? Like those childhood video games. So I had discovered during this time a new game that was kind of in the same format that reminded me of like a childhood video game and I kind of played it. Things like that, you know, it doesn't have to be a video game, but things like stepping into childhood nostalgic situations. And notice I said nostalgic. You don't want to step into something that's traumatic or something that wasn't a good experience. You want to step into like something good, like go swing on a swing if you have that in your backyard. Don't go to parks right now. Can't do that. But you know. Save nostalgia. Things they gave you joy when you were little that might seem silly to grown-up you little kid you probably isn't worried about coronavirus because they don't know what that is and you know what sounds great little kid that doesn't understand what coronavirus is right now sounds awesome it is and then just as importantly literally what that does when you trigger nostalgia in your brain is it causes your metabolic system and your blood flow to your brain to move faster which allows like that's what's going to make you feel like warm and it's going to make you feel optim it it literally makes you feel more optimistic it makes you feel safe it blocks literally warm and fuzzies the warm and fuzzies yes exactly it blocks negativity from your brain and the more you do it the more you're like blocking out all of that because that's part of why children function so well when they're happy right like it just everything else is blocked out that can often depending on the childhood because again I'm not trying to devalue childhood in general like bad experiences but that's often why children are so resilient for so long is because they are able to focus on the good things for a lot longer until they've gotten fed up right and some people always have great childhoods for the most part except for the few times they get in normal amounts of trouble right so again like that's just literally a scientific like that's how your brain works so you know do things that ignite that part of your brain that's going to be really helpful stretching you need to move your body. I, you know, I don't need to dive into why, like most people know why, but you definitely have to be moving your body. You can stretch for, again, it's not something you have to do for 45 minutes. You could do it in five, just set a timer for five minutes, do whatever feels good. You don't, it doesn't have to have any rules or regulation. Just do whatever feels good. Move around your body. That's it. It doesn't have to be complicated. Taking walks. I mean, I'm obviously serving, connecting, mentoring. Like I am using that time for this. Like I encourage people to do that. Like they want to connect socially and reminding them that they don't have to physically, you know, they can still be socially connected and not physically there, right? Like it's not the same thing. So I've always lived in a lot of different places. So for the most part, the fact that my friends are hundreds and hundreds of miles away for me is not a struggle for me. But like my friends that are like, well, I always see this person on this date and now we're not, and now we're not really talking. Why are you not talking to them just because you don't see them on Thursday? Call them. Zoom, Facebook. I think we're so lucky to live in a pandemic with the internet. If you have the internet, first off, be blessed, be grateful that you have the internet. Like first off, you have that option. But then in the same regards, like you can make connections with new people, do new things, the choice. Virtual dance, Zoom dance parties. There's all sorts of things going on. Yeah, it's a choice at this point if you were going to socially isolate from everyone entirely 
that's a choice. You can make new connections, new things, learn new things. I think that's so, so important that in this crazy time, like you, you don't have to do everything right now. Like you could take the time to focus on yourself, do the things that you wanted to do, that you're thinking about, things that you have been scared to do, and you can just try them. If it doesn't work, you just go back to what you were doing before. And yeah. no one even has to know. Like no one has to know that you failed. You just keep going until you can be like, I failed all those other times, but this time work because no one's necessarily seeing your failures in a lot of regards no one's seeing if you failed no one's seeing if you tried a new thing because no one no one really cares what you're doing for the most part either if you're not directly affecting them they don't care and at this point everyone's too busy posting about corona tiger king and new statistics for everything people know people are trying new things right and there's literally no accountability to it like they're like well, whatever do you, you know? Like, yeah, you're, all- you're in quarantine. As Anything a- goes in quarantine. Anything. Yeah. Like, what you do it. Stays in quarantine. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, you like went live a bunch of times and they were awful. Cool. Delete them. No one. Everything is fixable. You can figure out everything. Well, my dear, I am so thankful that you took the time to hang out with me and go over this. I am definitely going to be practicing some visualization because I've only ever done it. Future visualization. I have never thought to visualize things that have happened and then try to trick myself out of that. I've never done that. That's going to be a new thing that I try tonight. I'm super excited about that because there's some things that I'd like to reevaluate. I love this. So if people want to connect with you, where is the best place for them to find you? Um, Probably the best place is going to go to my website because that's going to link you to all my socials and information. So www.savannamare.com. You can probably see how to spell my name in the description of this. I will link your website in the show notes. I'll probably tag your Facebook as well. That would probably be the easiest. (laughs) Perfect. All right. 